Hey, welcome to the first episode of Making Disciples in the Everyday podcast. It's part of the Making Disciples network of podcasts that our Brentwood family of churches are putting together, and we are excited, hopeful, that these podcasts will simply encourage uh, each of you as whether you're a follower of Jesus, a believer, or you're not, it will simply encourage you with conversations that provoke some thought, that get you processing, what would it look like to actually live with Jesus in the everyday of my life right here and now? And that's actually the topic of today's podcast. What is disciple making in 2019? What does it look like? We're kicking off a series uh, across our family of churches uh, this this week, and it's focused in on this topic, gospel conversations, disciple-making, what that looks like in the everyday of life, really the story of the early church, how they themselves lived it out. And the guy who helped develop that series is with me. He's one of our campus and teaching pastors, David Hanna. So, David, welcome. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here this morning. <laughs> Paul Wilkinson is with us as well, and he will chime in as the uh, wise sage that he is. And so, I just want us to have a brief conversation. We're kicking off this series. First of all, what what do you hope, what did you hope would really be the outcome when you were developing the series? Well, the general idea... Um, was kind of this series would completely dovetail with the very end of Mark. The angel sits there. Uh, he declares the good news of the empty tomb and his very next words to these amazing women was go and tell. So it's that, it's that continuation, that idea of the tomb is empty. Now what happens? Yeah. Uh, as, as we know, Acts, uh, the amazing uh, history of the growth and spread of the gospel and the early church. And, and we see that happening. We see the actions of, of these early believers that were actual witnesses to the empty tomb. I mean, Acts, Acts 1-8, as we get to talk about so often, Jesus in his final words, his final appearance to his closest friends and closest followers, the idea of you will be my witnesses. Hmm. Like this is not, if you feel like it, if you want to, if you've got a seminary degree, if you've been in church your whole life, no, if you are a follower of mine, you will be my witness yeah. to the rest of the world. Um, so as it, we were kind of developing this, as I put this together, kind of walking through acts a little bit, I wanted to start out with the, the idea of it, if we are to be witnesses to a risen Savior, step one is we need to know God's story. Hmm. Uh, how many of us get asked just blatantly, what is the gospel? Who is Jesus? Yeah. And we don't have an answer. Yep. Like we can't even articulate that. Yeah. So step one is knowing God's story. And step two is being our, to our, able to articulate how God's story has affected us. Yeah. God's story and in our story. Yeah. You know, that's kind of where we wanted to start with this, with this series. That's awesome. I, t I teach a class up at Belmont in New Testament. And one of the major focuses of the class is what is the story of the Bible, mm. right? Like I can't get, and so it's fun, even whether they're believers or not, not all the students in the class or each semester are believers. It's always fun to me to hear this response. And it happens every semester. I didn't understand the full narrative of the Bible. Mm. I didn't really see the story of God 
and students one after another will say that makes a difference, right? So I agree with you. I think it really is important that our folks catch that big story, how they're in the context of that story. And I love what you said, you know, you will be my witnesses, right? Because it's kind of, I mean, how, how true is this, that if the gospel's not compelling you, it's not compelling to you. Mm. So do you believe I think I want to use that. The actual of God. Do you believe the actual gospel, right? Like Right. So so like when you think about even where you guys are. You're in East Nashville, which is a beautiful, meaningful, life vibrant, life-giving element of our city. All of those things are true. It's it's wonderful. Uh you know, and there's things obviously we could critique about it, I'm sure, but they do plenty of that themselves. So <laughs> also true. So, also true. So so as you live there, you and Nicole live there with your family, you're pastoring there with the church at Lachlan Springs. What is 2019 disciple making, 2019 gospel conversations? What would you want someone to know? Hey, think this way, process, th- live pro- mentality, action, right? What would you really want someone to know as they're processing this, this topic? Sure. Well, um, the first thing I would love for people to recognize is the first hurdle to the gospel is not that people don't know Jesus. It's that people don't know anyone that does know Jesus. <laughs> That's good. They, they they don't know there's even an option. Hmm. Like, And we think, well, if you grew up in America, you certainly if you've grown up in the South, you've heard it a thousand times. And that may or may not be true. Yeah. But it doesn't mean you actually know it on a, on a heart level, on a soul level. You've never seen it and seen the way the gospel affects a person. Yeah. Um, so, so step one is putting ourselves in, in a position to know and be known by, love and be loved by people that don't yet know a living Savior. And it's something the church has frankly been awful at for several generations. Hmm. We're still kind of stuck in that Old Testament come and see model. We're just going to build the buildings bigger and prettier and oh, the the world likes workout facilities, so we're going to build workout facilities and they're going to come to us. And the world likes coffee shops, so we're going to build coffee shops and they're going to come to us. And our workout facilities are filled and our coffee shops are filled, but they're filled with people that are already in our pews on Sunday mornings. And so the end result is we create create a bubble around our lives to where we really don't have any intimate interaction with people that don't yet know Jesus. We're not opening up our life. That's right. There's this idea of if I'm going to have a gospel conversation with someone, if I'm going to share Jesus with someone, I am going to come in and swoop into their life and give them this story that's going to fix everything. Because I've figured it out and they haven't. They must be so broken. Hmm. But we're not opening up ourselves to them as well. Yeah. Um, and, and the world recognizes that. Yeah. And we, we, we treat the world like, like they're stupid and we've got something they don't have. When in reality, the only difference between us and people that don't yet know Jesus is that we have met a living Savior. Yeah. And we need to take that opportunity to to introduce someone, let someone know you have the option to know a Jesus that is alive today. But we can't we can't do that if we're just sitting around in our church pews waiting for him to show up some Sunday morning. That's great. I mean, I, I think, and no wonder it's so awkward. 
right? Like we, we aren't even reorienting our lives to open up and allow them in, to allow that relationship. One guy, one pastor out in LA says, we've forgotten how to be human, mm. right? Like I, I think, you know, we've talked about this before and, and Paul, feel free to chime in on this too. I know we've talked about this before. Like it's, it's this idea that we don't need to go tell the world why they need the gospel. We need to tell the world why you and I need Amen. the gospel. Amen. That's exactly, right? like yeah, that, absolutely. Like that, that's what's going to make more sense to them. And, and there's this, there's this fear amongst Christ followers that they don't have the right words. Uh, somebody's going to ask them a question they don't know the answer to. And then what happens? So, so the, the solution has always been, okay, well, I'm just going to be a really good person. And, you know, because I don't cuss, the person in the cubicle next to me eventually is going to say, what's so different about you, Jason? <laughs> I also want to not cuss. And that just never, ha- it just never happens. Um, and it's because, I mean, you talk so much about gospel fluency, which I, I love this concept. Uh, and we could go on for hours about that. But the bottom line is, it's because we cannot articulate the way the gospel has affected our own lives. Mm. We haven't oftentimes even integrated the gospel into our own lives. I mean, can you imagine... Can you imagine having a neighbor or a coworker or a workout buddy or whatever? And after a year or two, you say something about your kids and that person says, I didn't know you had kids. Hmm. It would never happen because it's a part of your life. It's a part of your world. Yeah. It's going to be a natural part of your conversation. Now, it doesn't mean you have to go to that person and say, I have kids. Therefore, you have to have kids. Sure. But you're going to be able to talk about the way your kids have affected your life and they're a part of your everyday life and they and, and they change the rhythms of your life. Absolutely. But we can't do that about the gospel. Yeah. Hmm. And that, I mean, that that's our issue, right? Mm. Like we, we haven't been able to really even articulate how it's come to bear in our own lives. And what what breaks your heart is, is that because it hasn't come to bear in our own lives like it's supposed to? Right. How, how has it made my friendships different? Right. And I don't, I don't want to just use the marriage metaphor because not everybody listening is married. Right. But, but let's talk about just even friendships. Right. How, how are my friendships richer? How are, how does forgiveness come Mm. alive in them? How, how has reconciliation given me a deeper friendship with someone? How, you know, that, those kinds of idea, ideas that are gospel ideas. Right, they're fruits of what the gospel does, and how has my insecurity overcome that now I'm secure enough to to even risk loving someone? That's a way that the gospel comes sure. to bear. Yeah, right? like, no, absolutely. Like there's so many different ways we could, but we I think we've struggled to let it come to bear. I mean, it, with our across our church families, we're emphasizing gospel conversations, right? Instead of just expecting our people to do it. What 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 should we expect? Oh gosh, uh, what should we expect? What should we? Let me rephrase it. Okay, not expect in the sense of well, expect more in the sense of expectancy, mm-hmm. right? Like, what are we hoping to see? It, it isn't just that we're hoping to see our people awkwardly fumble their way through sure. a gospel conversation sure. that they that they know they should have, right? But right, it's not. That's not what we're hoping right. to see. What right. are we really hoping to see? Well, and, and I, I do think it's important to point out that 
sometimes that's the way it works. That's exactly Sometimes you do awkwardly fumble through a gospel conversation. That's exactly right. And that's okay, too. In fact, a lot of times you do. Sure, absolutely. And that's that's okay. Um, Hopefully, most of the time, it won't be that way. Because those those gospel conversations and even just those words really need to be unpacked. Sure. Gospel conversation. It's recognition that a, a conversation is not just a single interaction. It's That's an right. ongoing conversation in, in the context of relationship. And those gospel conversations are so much more comfortable and natural in the context of intimate relationship. Yep. And, and I feel like so many of our people have gotten confused to thinking a gospel conversation is meeting someone on the street, walking them down the Roman road. Yeah. And, and I guess that happens. I mean, I can imagine a scenario in which that might happen, but that is certainly the exception as opposed to the rule. In reality, what my expectancy is, at least for our people in East Nashville and I've got to be honest, we're at a massive advantage because we live in a community that lives in community, if yeah, that makes sense. It does, yeah. Uh, East Nashville is is a city almost in and of itself, kind of plopped right down in the, in the middle of Metro Davidson County, that does community really, really well. Yeah. As such... When you live there as a part of that culture, you are you are thrown into relationship and, and intimate relationships tend to occur on on our street, our little dead end with eight houses. We know every single person in every single house. We have had meals with every single person in every single house. Everybody hangs out in the street. It's just the way life works over there. Yeah. And it's in the context of those relationships that the gospel conversations occur and they become much less awkward because the people I'm talking with know I love them and they love me. Yeah. So so you don't have to fumble through that. It's just mm-hmm. the context of your life. And, and and not to simplify it too much, but what you're describing, two things. One, these people have welcomed that, mm. right? Like sure. they've yeah. welcomed you right. and Nicole. They've right. welcomed relationship with you because they did see that you cared about them because you invited them into relationship or they invited you into like right right it's it's a normal thing that's kind of that idea of you forget how to be human right like sure absolutely like it's just the normal you actively cared enough about someone you encountered that they eventually welcomed you or you welcomed them into your into life is that is that accurate is that no that's that's absolutely accurate and that is uh that's naturally the way nick and i have have lived it's the, been the rhythm of our life and our relationship for the last two decades it just comes very natural to us i recognize that for whatever reason it's not as natural uh to many other people i i mean i've got to be honest a lot of it is fear we have we have so many people that are terrified of what the world not even might do to them but might do to their kids yeah we we can't have these intimate relationships because what what if my kids see someone that doesn't know Jesus, how that, how is that going to influence them? How's that going to change them? What if my kids see people that live uh, an alternative lifestyle? What if my kids see people of a different religion? What then, then what's going to happen? Yeah. So we need to make sure priority. Number one is making sure our kids are completely and totally protected in this bubble. And 
when that is priority number one, it makes it almost impossible to have authentic relationships with anyone that doesn't look like us, sound like us, come from the same background as us, have the same beliefs as us. Yep. And if you can't have those intimate relationships, then gospel conversations are non-starters. Absolutely. And we were talking earlier, right? Paul, If you, I want you to speak to this. We were talking earlier about another reason, not just that fear of the of what will it do to my kids, what will it do to me, but even our busyness, right? Like what, how does, how does our busyness get in the way of it? And I think a lot of that, as I dwell on it, comes from definitions of success. And so I think back to what you were saying about expectancy and then this attack of busyness on my life because we all have deadlines, we all have bosses, we all have goals, and we all have people we need to care for. So what, what would be an actual success for our people as they're engaging in gospel conversations? What's a win? What do I hang my hat on? Oh, gosh, that's a, it, it's, a, it's a great question. Um, and, and actually, that comes up a little bit in, in this sermon series, week three, week four-ish, somewhere in there. Um, I want all of our people to recognize that a gospel conversation, the goal is not to argue someone into heaven. That's, right. That's not the way this works. It's not if you have the gospel conversation so well and you say the exact right things in the exact right order, then they will know Jesus and you have won. Like you're one and oh on that day. That's not the way gospel conversations work because God is working in their life in the same way he's working in yours. God is working in their heart in the same way he's working in yours. For me, a win is just showing up. Um, I'm a, I'm a huge believer that gospel conversations is, is one of those things in a believer's life that if we are desperately pursuing our savior, if we are working out our salvation with fear and trembling, if we are chasing after Jesus, gospel conversations are not obligatory. They are inevitable. It's not one of those things of, okay, it is my duty to have a gospel conversation. It's one of those things that it will happen and you won't be able to stop it. Absolutely. It's so consistent with what you said earlier about the shift from hoping people come see us to us bearing witness as we go forth. Uh, the Hebrew mindset, it seems, largely in Old Testament days was, if you want God, get yourself to a temple or a prophet. And I think the New Testament shift, Paul calls us living temples that uh, we're indwelt by the Spirit. If, if you want to meet God, then ideally, we would say, get yourself to a believer, that you, you would have that presence in each one of us. I'd be curious, both from your time in Italy and now, um, you know, pastor shepherding in East Nashville, what are some ways you pray for your community, for those who aren't as natural at building relationships, they can start by praying. Uh, so how would you encourage them or equip them to pray? What's this prayer thing? You didn't know? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, no, that is, Paul, I, I, I'm grateful you brought that up because it is a step we so often skip. Yeah. And again, so much of that goes back to this, this idea of it's our duty. So I'm just checking these things off. But none of it is founded in in an honest, natural, authentic prayer life, an authentic, ongoing conversation with our creator. Um, as we pray, as I pray for our community and as I, I encourage our congregation to, to pray for their uh, friends, neighbors, coworkers, family members, those people in our community, it starts with 
begging the Lord to put you in position to have those relationships, to allow you to love your neighbors well. Um, we, we often talk to our congregation about the church at Lachlan Springs will be a church that loves our community not so that they will come to our church, not even so that they will come to know Jesus. We desperately want them to come to know Jesus, but we will love our community because we can't help ourselves. Yeah. We can't stop it. And so it's that prayer of, Lord, fill me with your love so much so that it spills out into those around me. I can't stop it. No damn will hold it back. Um, so it's praying for those opportunities, obviously praying for boldness and courage, but at the same time, praying for a peace that it's not our responsibility to argue someone into heaven. It's not our responsibility. Their, their salvation isn't our burden. Hmm. If we can pray for that peace, it releases that burden. It releases that pressure and it allows us to have truly authentic, natural conversations as opposed to this thing of, I've just got to, I've just got to know every single verse in Romans. And if I skip one, one of these verses, then it's not going to happen. Or, or what if they ask me about this, this, uh, doctrine or theology that I don't know? What, what if they've read a book I haven't read? It releases us of all of that. Um, finally, making sure praying for confidence in the gospel. Yeah. And, and that's something we so often lack is, is confidence that the gospel actually works. The words of God actually have real power. Um, and, and it's not because we said them so well or articulately or eloquently. It's because it is the word, the living word of the creator of the universe. And having confidence in the power of the gospel goes a long way to release that pressure and release those burdens. I mean, you know, just as we look to wrap up here, I want to hit home again those two things that you just said. I think it's so important as we're trying to engage, as we are hoping for what Jesus said he came to give, which is abundant life. It's so important that we remember how loved we are. We are fully and completely loved. That's that preaching the gospel to myself, right? It's that, like you said, it's it's not only praying for that other person, but even that continual understanding of the gospel in my own life, that which is what compels me to love mm -hmm. them, right? Yeah. Because I I I begin to realize, wait, I I am fully loved. Like I I am. I have a security in Christ. I, the, my worries and fears and sins and ungratefulness and on and on and on and on and on and on. It has met something that transforms it and changes it into something else. It brings it from death to life. And that idea is huge. But then the other idea of if I understand that I'm worth dying for to Jesus, do I understand that everybody else is sure. too? Well, and that goes back to, and we talk a lot about this as well, the, the whole Imago Dei, the whole, the, the idea, not the idea, the fact <laughs> that we are all image bearers yeah. of God. And when we say all, we don't mean all people that are in our pews on a Sunday morning are image bearers of God. It's yeah. 
everyone. Yeah, we don't even mean all that are just moralistically right. pure. And, right? and you like know, we, Jesus and his his summary of the law, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. Well, if you can do the first, if you can love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and you recognize that yourself, you are an image bearer of that God you so desperately love, and your neighbor is an image bearer of that God you so desperately Absolutely. love. Absolutely. You can't not love them. That's exactly right. And I think, there, right, what you're saying is there's a reason why Jesus could not separate those two commands. Mm. I, I, absolutely. Yes. There, there's a reason why John, who caught that, wrote extensively on not separating those two commands, right? Like it's it's the idea of he Jesus thinks I'm worth dying for and my neighbor is too. Mm. My coworker is too, right? Like, isn't that, that's really the secret to having gospel conversations is beginning to actually believe that, right? So if I actually believe that, it might completely transform the way that I even approach the way I schedule my life, my priorities, the way I pay attention to the people I encounter. Like even that tweak all of a sudden awakens me to say, man, my neighbor that kid that annoys my kid, that kid's worth dying for. How am I teaching my kid that that kid's worth dying for in the same way that my kid yeah, is amen. worth dying for to Jesus? That's mm. a huge deal, right? Big deal. So we know we'd love to see as many gospel conversations as possible around here. In closing, you know, we've talked a little bit about what we really hope to see, though. It's more of these natural, relational engagements, you know. What do you hope, as you look ahead, as you think through this summer, as you look into the fall, what do you think, more more specifically, what do you think Jesus hopes for? T- tell an imagined narrative. What's a story that you would love to tell in the fall? What's something you would love to be able to say, this happened this summer? Remember we preached about, remember we had this series, we talked about over the summer, we saw this happen what would you love to see oh gosh you put me on the spot there Jason. <laughs> you could have given me a little bit of a heads up <laughs> i've asked you this question before so um well i i mean there and i i would say a story i would love to tell and and i've said this over and over and over again is is the story of the person in our congregation that has that has recognized the power of the gospel in their own lives yeah. such that they can't hold it back and that person, because of that gospel, has recognized, you know, Rosaria Butterfield, the gospel comes with a house key, hmm. that, that because of the gospel in their lives, they have been compelled to open their lives to their community. Hmm. And through that relationship, through that um, intimacy that they have with those around them, they have been given multiple opportunities just to share what Jesus has done for them. Yeah. And that story and that change, you know, that thing that we that we see throughout Acts as the gospel changes people to the point that, you know, as as was John and Peter are on trial and and suddenly Peter is so bold with the gospel, the the, the Jewish court looks at him and they're like, okay, well, he's uneducated. He has no idea what he's doing, not super attractive or elegant, but that dude knows Jesus. Yeah. Like, I can't tell you anything else about him, but he knows Jesus. Mm-hmm. I want people in our community to say, 
this person that keeps inviting me to their house for dinner, this person that's coaching my kid's baseball team, this person that's on the PTA at school. I don't know anything else about him, but I know that person knows Jesus. And mm-hmm. I want to know the person, I want to know the Jesus that changed that person's life. It's good. It's good. It's beautiful. I hope for that. Gosh, so do I. I pray for that, man. And, and you know, if, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I opened my life, multitude of people, man. Hey, how about just one? Right. And I know David agrees with that. He's not trying, like what he just explained is not put the pressure on and all of you have a hundred folks in your house and in your life. Like even if you just beg Jesus to give you one, Mm. who, what's, who, what you go love actively, right? And someone's going to welcome you into their life. And if you are understanding why you need the gospel, you'll be able to translate it to them. And I pray we will be his witnesses, like you just said, that you'll have that story in the fall of a number of people that are part of the church at Lachlan Springs and that all of our guys and many churches, many families, many church families, many communities of faith in Jesus would have that same story of they recognize he'd been with Jesus, they were his witnesses. And let's pray that we see more and more of that. Amen. Anything you'd add? Close us out. Paul? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, hey, we'll talk to you next time.